City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Uh, <laughs> okay, good morning. How are here we going? are, it's City Limits. And, uh, I'll get onto the bike, this is ridiculous. I'm standing up here. <laughs> this is uh, City Limits. I'll just throw my coat in the corner over there. There we are. You can tell I just walked into the studio. Um, and um, it's the second Wednesday of the month. It means we're doing energy issues today, among other things. And we're going to look at, we're going to be talking later in the program to Lee Eubank from Friends of the Earth. And. Uh, of course, I've got to say who we are. We've got, in fact, Zeb, Zeb Peaks over there. She's actually pressing buttons for us today, Zeb. Yeah, I'm panicking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, it's called panelling. Uh, so <laughs> oh, and, same, uh, same difference, right? <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and Karina's on her way, but she's apparently had a problem with her bike, so she's, uh, but she'll get here. She'll get here. Yeah. And uh, you'll then be relieved. You want to stop panicking and stop panelling at the same time. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, that's right. So seeing it's sort of um, Friends of the Earth, um, Lee Eubank, who's the climate change person there, of course, and Lee's going to talk to us about the current, the government's, the state government's recent uh, new target for climate change, mm-hmm. addressing climate change. Yeah. And also, he's going to talk to us a bit about what was in last night's budget about environment, which means it'll be a pretty short conversation there, I would have thought. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but in fact, it was interesting that, uh, or we'll talk about it with Lee later, but it was sort of, there were a couple of interesting aspects, I thought, there. Um, Zeb, so anyway, how are you? Yeah, I'm well. Um if anyone hears a rumbling sound in the background, though, that's because I'm quite hungry because I didn't right. eat enough breakfast. So. Well, I'll help you a little bit. I'll give you a cup of tea. Oh, that'd be great. What tea this do is, we have it's, today? We have Vietnamese green tea today. They want to come with the little little pellets. Ooh. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we we'll, uh, And now you don't have to talk because I'm going to have to stand up and hand you the, the cup. So, uh, yeah, okay. Hang on. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Gabe Reed is in the studio. Do you want a cup, Gabe, by the way? No. no. <laughs> okay. Right, we okay. have... Um, there we are. Service, thank you. <laughs> okay, now there we are, Zeb. We've done it. I thought seeing Zeb, you also are a an activist at Friends of the Earth, mm-hmm. and we've got Lee Eubank on. It's sort of a faux day, so I would suggest as my very first very very bad joke of the morning. We don't want to make any mistakes, or that would be a faux pas. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, that was a very bad joke. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah, there's um, a lot of puns available for yes, <laughs> friends right. of the earth. Yes, right. Yes. Okay. Um, and anything you wanted to talk about? Because I've got a few things here as usual. Um, you can start. You go ahead. All right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll do one which um, which I can't actually find, so I won't do one. <laughs> <laughs> no, hang on a tick. I better go to the other end of the of the thing. I think I might have come up the wrong way. Oh, here we are. Yes. Um What I want to talk to you about, and I want your opinion on this because you're a young person and obviously a very young person who is who is uh, going to be, you know, you are you are facing the gun and the barrel in terms of climate change. And I don't like I don't like quoting Andrew Bolt, but it's just sometimes he's just so extraordinary. You have to like he still he still writes articles saying the world is actually getting cooler and 
the places that are sinking in the Pacific are actually getting bigger. Mm. But this week, a, a classic, this one, I'll, I'll get your comment on it as a young person. Oh, no. <laughs> Good news, one in five young Australians rightly think the media is exaggerating the global warming scare. What brave 18 and 19-year-olds, these free thinkers in this Millennium Future poll, give hope reason may return. But our schools will try to stop that. Under the idiotic new curriculum plan for them, every Year 9 student will be asked to research, quote, examples of young people who are acting as global citizens such as Greta Greta Thunberg. How tragic schools promote a teenaged global warming hysteric but ignore adult scientists who say the world isn't in danger. Yeah. What's your comment? He oh, goes on, but that's enough. That's yeah, enough. I'd, I'd seen a, another article about that survey that, um, you know, showed that there are some teens um, existing in the world that think that climate change is overblown or some sort of ploy for, like, the government to scare them or something, um, which is disappointing to hear, but I really, I don't, I mean, I might just be in my own bubble, but I don't think that that is the majority of young people mm. at all. Um, and, of course, Andrew Bolt is always, you know, going to leap on those things and, Isn't he? and turn them around. Well, yeah. he's never stopped. Since she came into prominence, he's never stopped attacking Greta Thunberg and pointing at And he even uses her uh, Asperger's or whatever to uh, to, crack, to attack her. He uses the, the illness, oh, yeah. or not if you call it an illness, but her condition, yeah. to attack her. Um, which is quite extraordinary. But his attack on her and hysteric, um, comment on that? Well, the, the kind of line of, um, you know, climate change being a hysterical sort of, uh, what's that, like fear-mongering um, sort of thing from, from the left or from, I don't know, scientists who are somehow planning to make a profit from uh dealing with climate change or something has been a line for a long time. And I actually remember when I went to um, high school, we had someone come in for an assembly one time to talk about how climate change was like a fear-mongering scheme and and was overblown. So uh, my schooling experience certainly wasn't a... uh, um, We should, you know, worry about climate change as, as the biggest... or one of the biggest challenges to our future, so... Yeah, well, <laughs> well, when we when we're talking to uh, Lee later in the program, um, I do intend to quote an article that was in the Age a week or two ago by the Secretary General of the United Nations, um, Terrace, who said that um, who said, and Karina's bike must be okay. It's sort of it's all about Karina's uh, here. Terrace, who 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 virtually said we need to act immediately and we have to reduce coal by eighty percent by. 2030, I think he one of his one of his quotes, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. that with Lee later. But I mean, here's the United Nations Secretary General telling the world it has to act much better and much much more quickly uh, than it is now. Yeah, yeah, certainly. That also, like you know, the, the the majority of adults are also saying we have to act on climate, and there's you know only a tiny, tiny minority who agree with Andrew Bolt, so... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, Karina's walked into the studio and she's looking very happy today, and I've realised why, because the Bulldogs came back in the last quarter. Uh, <laughs> Karina, any wonder you got a big smile on your face. I'd prefer a working bike wheel than for my Do footy you? team to be winning, but, yeah, yeah, it did make me happy. No, it didn't. <laughs> okay. Do you want a cup of tea now you're here? I would absolutely adore a cup of tea. What well, tea well, have we got today, right. Kevin? Well, look, I'm pouring the cup of tea. You get down on your knees and bow toward it. 
No. Because you were adoring it, you said. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, in the meantime, um, some other news that's sort of related to to the energy stuff that we're going to talk about later is that AGL has taken Greenpeace to court. Um, So Greenpeace has used its AGL's logo in some way in um, its, like, biggest climate polluter campaign and apparently AGL wasn't too happy about what that might say about its image. Was it upset because it might have been the second biggest or wasn't the biggest or... Never mind. Apparently Australia's biggest corporate greenhouse yeah. well, uh, emitter. <laughs> yeah. well, You've got to be proud of something, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. they should, you know, they should own it. <laughs> <laughs> if you, that's right. If you're going to do it, you may as well own it at the same time instead of suing people for telling you what you are. Well, perhaps <laughs> we shouldn't be saying that, but anyway, that's um, that's it. Um, I think we all admire the incredible intelligence of the police force, but this one um, they've they've built in um, in Spencer Street near, near the city headquarters of the police. They've they've separated they've done curbing to separate trams from cars, and the police approved it and had a look at the plans and said that'll be okay. It won't worry us. But once it's gone in, they've realised that it does worry them. They have trouble getting their cars over it. So we're now going to have to an extra $20,000 just to change the whole thing outside the police mob. So they, they could have saved 20000 by working it out beforehand, but of course they couldn't work think it through, could they, and work that one out. Um, a couple of stories that, um, that unfortunately, this is sort of the good news and the bad news. Which one do you want first, good news or bad news? Um, good news. Good news. Okay, <laughs> I'll, have a, I'll have a sip of tea. That's not good news. Hang on. Ah, there we are. Good. Well, the bad news is, and you probably probably saw it, but the federal court last week, the federal court um, appeals court, uh, knocked back an earlier decision by Justice Deborah Mortimer, who determined logging of sixty six coops in um, in the Central Highlands contravened the Federal Environment Protection Biodiversity Conservation Act and it saved and she, her honour ruled the logging was likely to have a significant impact on the vulnerable greater glider and the critically endangered leadbeater's lead possum. But then last week, uh, and, the, and the Forest Victoria uh, actually appealed against that. I mean, they, Vic Forests, who uh, claim that they're preserving our forests. They they appealed against the decision and the three judges last week upheld the, the appeal and said yes the prologging could go ahead. But the the in in the decision the judges said that despite the clear and pressing need to protect these two species, particularly in the central highlands of Victoria, the appeal was down to the technicality of statutory construction, whatever that bloody well means. But yeah, I don't know what that means. No, <laughs> no, but it means that unfortunately they can start logging again, even though these, you know, well, one, we shouldn't be logging those forests anyway, but secondly, you've got endangered species in there, and the court rules that it's okay under the under the law, which means that there's something wrong with the law. I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, and a, and the friends of Leadbeater's possum are appealing again. They're probably already thinking of taking the case to the high court, which will cost them a lot of money. But that's the bad news. It's not good news for the. Well, for the forest, for the lead beater possum, and for the greater glider. Mm, yeah, I suppose mm, good news in the short term for big forests. That's all. Yeah, that's right. And they, I mean, they 
we well, of course we know that two years ago or so they they said well they'll cut they'll cut out all native forest uh, yeah. logging by 2030 though so it gave them 11 years and meanwhile of course and the 2030 mark is because that's when the contract with a particular company to to get the uh, the cuttings and and make paper etc just make paper out of the bloody thing expires so <clears throat> they would have had to buy out the contract if they went beyond if they came this side of 2030 but Nonetheless, I think it's worth doing that. Occasionally, you know, you've got to spend money to to save things. I would have thought. Yeah, and it's really it like it's not good practice the way that they have basically um, the like forest protection and logging business like in the same department basically of the government like that doesn't make sense at all no no exactly no. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't but it, it does to them obviously but not to us that's yeah. right the good news therefore is the other side of that we remember a couple of weeks ago the the heritage golf club and country club out in um in, in the wilds of melbourne churnside park um there was a move to cull kangaroos there we now see the situation where you know unfortunately you know think a species like kangaroos start to, they say, encroach on us, but of course we've encroached on them, and that's why they're there. Uh, but uh, but anyway, there was a move to the move to do it, and there was a group, local group of people trying to save the kangaroos. And in fact, one kangaroo is so friendly that one bloke, I think we might have mentioned on air, one bloke said he'd walk up to the people going to shoot them, and he'd he'd be a dead duck. And I pointed out he wouldn't be a dead duck, he'd be a dead kangaroo. But then Mm. uh, I thought that wasn't the best phrase to use in the situation. But nonetheless, they've been saved at least temporarily. There was a community, there was a meeting between Wildlife Victoria, uh, a local vet and the manager of the golf club, and they've agreed they would not be harmed while the discussions continue. So they're going to keep talking to discuss it. And um, Lisa Palmer, who's the CEO of Wildlife Victoria, said the meeting was a positive first step. So for the moment at least, and let's hope it's permanent, the kangaroos are are safe to wander around the golf course. So not to be contentious or anything here, Mm -hmm. Kevin, but I think kangaroo culls are a really hard topic because you're absolutely right, we have encroached on them. Um, But oftentimes... And, and I don't know the influence of, say, the golf course or the businesses in this particular case, but oftentimes culls need to be done to save them from starving to death when they overpopulate without that, a natural apex yeah, predator. That's in, that's in some situations. Yeah. 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 No, that, that's not the case here, though, I don't think. It's no, not the case no, here? No, no. That's all right. No, no. Just thought they a just little... Annoy, I think they just annoy the golfers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, No. We could probably do a whole show on golf course-related wildlife issues, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> well, we could. We could. What we do them. Oh, speaking of uh, wildlife out in, out, in the, out in space, open space, you'll be pleased to hear, because the, the, we've mentioned a few times this SpaceX thing um, of Elon Musk where he's trying to get this, this rocket to, to land properly. You might recall we mentioned a couple of times it went up okay, but every time it landed it blew up. And uh, they kept saying, well, it was a very successful thing, except we've got to get the landing right, which we thought was pretty, pretty good if you want to put someone in the bloody thing. Well, the fifth one went up and it worked. So now the fifth one landed properly. It did get a bit of a fire, but they went and they rushed out and put the fire out. And it, uh, it proved it can land safely. Isn't that good? So now you can say to any potential astronaut, you've got a 20% chance 
of not blowing up when you land. <laughs> well, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful chances then. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So <laughs> one in five, that right? Should, that should encourage them no end. <laughs> but it did. It did actually. Um, it did actually. Um, as I say, get a bit of a bit of a fire. But the bloke, the SpaceX bloke, said this was not unusual with the methane fuel fuel we're using. So that doesn't that wouldn't do you much good either for your confidence. I wouldn't have thought that bit about the methane fuel fuel we're using. But and speaking of fuel, mm. um, this is another one to do with um, well, the climate change in a sense because it's um, we're hoping that gas can be can be got out of our out of our system very quickly, but. A new, a new report shows, whatever I just said then. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Don't worry about that. I'll, I'll just call myself another cup of tea and think about it. It's 20 uh, past nine, Kevin. It's not time for those no, kind right. of jokes. No, okay, let's uh, – yeah, okay. Well, um, gas. Uh, <laughs> it's, a new report shows that gas can be just as harmful to children as smoking, um, smoking around them, the, the passive smoke. Uh, the Climate Council study did the study and showed that uh, using, sto- using gas stoves without a proper ventilation has a similar effect on childhood asthma to that of, of living in a house with a smoker. Ah. Up to 12% of cases of childhood asthma in Australia can be attributed to gas cooking at home, the report claims. Uh, the author, Kate Charlesworth, said gas cooking increased the risk of developing the condition and worsened existing asthma. It doesn't mean you definitely will get it. It's an increased risk. Asthma is on the rise, etc., around Australia, where you would with all the bloody air pollution that goes on. It wouldn't help people. Mm. And um, But anyway, that's, that's the case. So um, that's just another aspect of gas that... It, uh, yeah. It can cause asthma with young kids. Yeah, well, we um, it would be interesting to talk more about gas with Lee, but I also saw an article that was saying that Victoria is by far the biggest gas user in Australia. We've got like 65% of the um, of like gas use. I'm not sure whether that's just with domestic like um, gas stoves and things like that, but we definitely have the majority of those hooked up. And that was all due to... You know, um, around 50 years ago, the like gas coming from the Bass Strait, nowhere else in Australia really had that. Um, so we, I suppose, we also have the biggest challenge to to switch out of it. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, well is it time? Shall we go to a, a break and, um, and get find Lee on the end? Find Lee on the end. Okay. Just, well, just one other thing I thought worth <laughs> mentioning. Yeah, we will go to that after this, but. Um, I thought it worth mentioning that 61% of, of people at the at the um, Rio Tinto AGM last week, the annual general meeting, voted against the remuneration package for the thing oh, no. as a protest against what they did at Dukan Gorge. So I think that was that was just an interesting statistic, and uh, and uh, obviously the even the you know shareholders who generally their only interest is is making money. Um, actually, were most upset about them. But probably, they were probably upset because it did their, their image the world of world of damage mm. rather than yeah. uh, the world of bad, rather than good, uh, rather than actually worrying about what actually happened to the indigenous people there and their their forty six, thirty two thousand, forty six thousand year old was um, heritage. But anyway, they uh, they they kicked up a fuss. All right, well, you want, let's take a break and we'll get uh, Lee Eubank on the line and we'll talk about things. Okay, wonderful.
Kafirs are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organizations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Okay, it's uh, back back on city limits, and we've got uh, on three CR, and we've got um, we've got Lee Eubank on the line, who's the climate change person at Friends of the Earth, and um, and Lee, we've first up, we want to talk about a few things today, but first up, the state government recently gave us its new climate change target. I know you've been heavily involved in campaigning around this for a long time. Your your thoughts on what they've come up with? Yeah, look, it's um. It's not exactly what we're campaigning for. Um, We were campaigning for a science-based emissions reduction target of 75% by uh, 2030. We we landed with, um, you know, a pledge or a commitment from the government to match what the United States is doing, which is to halve its emissions over the, the next 10 years. But there still is a gap between what's on the table and, you know, what the science is telling us is needed. Yeah, and so just to clarify, is the halving of emissions, is that um, for, like, what year is that from? Yeah, so that's um, below 2005 levels. Oh, okay. And it's across the whole economy. So, you know, over the last few years in Victoria, there has been a strong focus on the renewable energy sector. There is a renewable energy target in place as well. But, you know, what this does for the first time is establish interim emissions reduction targets for the whole economy over the next 10 years. Okay, great. Um, And are there any, um, like, safeguards as well in there, just in case we have a change of government and a change of heart on on these policies? Well, there isn't. Um, It really is up to the community now. So I think one of the priorities for the movement in Victoria, the climate movement, will be to get the Victorian opposition, uh, you know, opposition leader Michael O'Brien and the Liberal Party, the National Party, uh, basically agreeing uh, or accepting these targets. At the moment, this is the Victorian Labor government's target. Um, It's supported by industry. It's supported by the union movement. But, um, you know, it is essential now to get that Liberal Party buy-in. And should you also be continuing the campaign to have an even bigger target than they've come up with? Because it, it still probably isn't adequate, isn't it? Yeah, well, fortunately, the way that the Climate Change Act is structured uh, is that in 2022, the Victorian government will have to appoint another independent um, panel to, to kind of make an appraisal of the science and make recommendations for... The 2030 and 2035 target, and in 2023, uh, you know, only a few months after the next state election, the government will have to set targets for 2035 and make a revision of its 2030 target. So, 
we do kind of have this ongoing process and fortunately in the Act, uh, governments are only allowed to ratchet upwards the targets. They can't ratchet them down. Okay, fantastic. And Lee, um, your collective Act on Climate um, in Friends of the Earth, you've been developing a people's climate strategy. Um, uh, that's going to be um, being presented to ministers soon, is that right? Yeah, so, you know, this was, um, this was one of those kind of lockdown activities that we initiated. Uh, we knew that, you know, during the lockdown, people needed a way of engaging with you know, the big debate and policy development. So we embarked on this kind of almost a year-long process of writing a people's climate strategy. We had um, over a 1,000 community members across the state contribute to that strategy. Um, we've, you know, captured local knowledge about impacts uh, affecting every region of the state. We've captured local ideas for what climate solutions people would like to see at the local level, but also across Victoria as well. And we launched that uh, uh, probably a week and a half ago, and now we're gearing up for delivery day uh, mm -hmm. on the 4th of June. And we're hoping to have uh, a copy physically handed to every MP in the state. So it's quite an ambitious organising effort. Uh, where we're very busy at Friends of the Earth's home base in Collingwood at the moment organising it. And, um, yeah, I guess if people, if listeners out there are keen to participate, you know, all the info's on our website and we'd, we'd love a hand. Awesome. And we can also put um, links to that in the show notes too. Um, yeah, has there been anything like, or what are the main takeaways or has there been anything surprising from what you found from um, community input into that? Uh, look, I think um, there's strong support for a 15-minute city. So I know the kind of flavour of the month uh, when it comes to decarbonising the transport sector is electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is some kind of uh, enthusiasm for, you know, in, in the public arena, there's some kind of enthusiasm for EVs and, you know, Elon Musk knows how to grab the headlines. Um, but, yeah, I think one of the things that we found is what people are actually looking for in the community is better planning and, um, you know, the better provision of public transport so that we have all of the things that we need, you know, a shop, a grocery store, you know, a doctor's, a, a dentist clinic um, and so on within 15 minutes. And if we could achieve that, that would be a game changer because rather than having to drive across town 30, 45 minutes to get to your essential services, uh, you know, they're right there on your doorstep. And, of course, with a 15-minute, um, you can also ride your bike and even walk part of the way, et cetera. So, you know, it, you don't have to use a car in that situation. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but on the the uh, the general, the, the world generally is saying and companies generally are saying we're going to be carbon neutral by 2050, but they seem to have pulled 2050 out of the hat somewhere. Um, it... it it, 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 when they pulled it out, I assume it was far enough away for them to do nothing about it. Uh, it's 2050's too late, isn't it? We need to act much more quickly. Yeah, that's right. Um, look, leading scientists from the University of Melbourne and elsewhere put out a public report um, back in January this year that basically said we need to achieve zero emissions by 2035. So, um, you know, if we're, if we're to have any chance of avoiding those catastrophic climate impacts, you know, such as what we have seen in, uh, you know, the 2019-2020 bushfire season, 
we really do need to get a wriggle on. So 2035 is the date that they're putting on it. Um, you know, it, it will take a lot of effort from from every every section of the community and the economy uh, to get that done. But, you know, that's really what we have to aim for. We have no other choice. Yeah. And Tony Gutierrez, you probably saw the article, but he had an article in The Age a couple of weeks ago, um, the Secretary-General of the United Nations, of course, and he's one of part of that article says phasing out coal from the electricity sector is the single most important step to get in line with the L five well, one and a half degree goal. Immediate action to remove the dirtiest, most polluting fossil fuel from power sectors offers our world a fighting chance. Global coal use and electricity generation must fall by eighty percent below twenty ten levels by twenty thirty. This means that developed economies must commit to phase out coal by 2030. Other countries must do this by 2040. That's a pretty important comment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, fortunately, we have people like the uh, Secretary General out there really um, playing the role of an honest broker. Um, you know, when, the, when you look at the uh, you know, politicians at the federal level in this country, you know, they're still just talking absolute rubbish on climate. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I saw uh, the Minister for Resources, Keith Pitt, he couldn't even bring himself to say that a battery could be coupled with a wind farm. And you should... It's seriously like a, a Clark and Dorr skit, the uh, level <laughs> of evasion. So, um, you know, we're, we're pretty lucky that we do have people like Antonio Guterres um, out there putting the honest honest um, commentary out there on the table. Yeah, yeah and of course the, the federal budget um, came out recently and we've got $51 billion um, being put to propping up fossil fuels. Um, so that's not great news, but um, I suppose... Um, one of those fossil fuels is gas, which is being talked about a lot um, mm. lately, and that's uh, also a big issue on the state level. So um, do you have any comment on, like, what we need to do to, to phase out gas? Look, um, you know, I guess it's, uh, you can approach this from, from many, many different sides. Um, I think, firstly, with the, uh, the lifting of the moratorium uh, on onshore conventional gas drilling in Victoria mm -hmm. occurring in July, I think we will see community resistance uh, to gas drilling across the regions. So I think there will be that community resistance angle. Um, we will also need to see, um, you know, governments play catch-up and, you know, I guess start to to eliminate the automatic connection of new suburbs and new residences to gas. Yes. We've just seen this week the city of Yarra have come out and said that they will be um, kind of taking leadership on that role and, you know, lobbying the state government to, um, to kind of uh, stop, you know, stop that mandatory connection, which is which is good. Um, and I guess on the... On the um, the home front, you know, we can all, you know, if we do have the, the capacity, you know, if you if you can adopt a different technology, uh, you know, such as induction cooktops uh, as a replacement from for gas cooktops, and you know, shifting away from um, uh, gas heating to um, uh, air con like reverse cycle air conditioners, that is pretty effective. Um, 
And we do have state government programs to incentivise the uptake of those technologies, which is really good. So, you know, we're getting there. We've got a lot of work to do. But, yeah, I think it will be a combination of resistance, governments playing catch-up and, um, you know, in individual households kind of choosing to do things differently if they can. Yeah. Yeah, because um, often an argument that comes up with things like uh, switching the grid to solar or also um, moving away from gas is that the higher income um, families can can do that more easily and then lower income residents get stuck with the costs of the infrastructure as well as, um, you know, the the remaining gas prices or uh, electricity prices. So that's something where you really need government support to be able to um, to switch that around. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think it was last weekend we did see the Minister, uh, Lily D'Ambrosio, um, basically announcing the program I just mentioned where, you know, lower-income households, um, social and public housing uh, will be kind of prioritised in incentives to replace gas heating with modern electrical heating. So, you know, that's the type of... Um, you know, social social justice-minded policy that we do need to see from governments. Yeah. Um, Lou, we're talking to Lee Eubank from Friends of the Earth there, climate change person. And, um, Lee, we'll get on to last night's budget shortly too in just a bit more detail. But the aforementioned Keith Pitt, um, who took over that uh, portfolio, of course, when Canavan resigned, so he's the same mentality, he loves a block of bit of coal, uh, but uh, in fact, uh, on a satire piece I do on this station, I call him Keith Pitt Pony. But um, he he came out last week and actually for the first time vetoed a grant from the north from the the Northern Australia um, whatever it's called the, the that facility that um, infra- Australia infrastructure Northern Australia infrastructure facility. And you probably saw this, but it recommended a a loan. To a company to to um, to build um, renewable energy in the uh, a wind farm in North Queensland, and he vetoed it, saying that wind and solar are mature technologies that should be funded by the private sector, not the taxpayer. So, can we now assume that coal and fossils are not mature technologies? <laughs> yeah, look, I think they're um, they're retirement age technologies, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> totally. An extraordinary performance by even by Keith Pitt's own standards, I would have thought. Yeah, you know, I think the Nationals are really setting the bar for uh, for ridiculous um, satirical politics in this country, aren't they? Mm, absolutely. You know, uh, maybe the Financial Review sub-editor uh, was being very, very naughty because on the same page last Friday's Fin Review, page 8... There's the headline, Minister Vetoes 280 Million Loan to Queensland Wind Farm, and right next to it, juxtaposition, the headline is Morrison Government to Commit 58 Million for Gas Plan. Um, so he, he might have just been a bit bit naughty in, in juxtaposing those together. Mm, um, one question before we go to the, the budget as well is, so... We've kind of talked a little bit about um, transport and energy, and one of the other big factors uh, in emissions is agriculture. So, um, does the Victorian um, emissions reduction plan have have much to say about uh, agriculture in in it? Yeah, we do. We do have um, 
some announcements about ag. Um, so obviously, you know, this is one of the one of the other emerging sectors that we do need to look look at in terms of decarbonising our economy. Um, you know, agriculture it is currently responsible for 17% of Victoria's emissions, so it's the fourth largest sector. Um, and there is in the Victorian government's climate strategy. Um, a little bit of a section on what the government would like to do on this front. I must admit, I'm still getting across the details. It's mm -hmm. been a very big, busy week. Um, but some of the things that are on the table is... Um, so apparently partnering with industry uh, in terms of the achievement of that net zero uh, goal, net zero emissions by 2050. Uh, so there will be um, 3.9 million invested to evaluate so-called methane-inhibiting feed additives. So this is um, basically what can you feed uh, right. sheep and cows to, to prevent their farts <laughs> or to minim minimise the damage of cow farts. Um, so, yeah, it's all, you know, it's kind of an emergent area. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely one I need to get my, my head around. Yeah. Um, so if... Agriculture is the fourth on the list, and I'm guessing we have energy and transport in number one and number two place. What's the third biggest em emissions um, sector? The third? Um, that's a very good question. I'm just going to have a little look and see. So we have, so yeah, we have energy number one, transport number two. Um, uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that, it's, if, that totally eludes me right now. <laughs> it's probably something strange like industrial something something. <laughs> We've got a policy on this program, of course, to always stump our guests and give them something they can't answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun about policies. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kevin, what, what well, questions Well, let's move on got? to last night's budget because last night's budget, the bit I found fascinating, and I did, I did, I actually brought myself to watch the bloody thing, um, was he one of his environment policies was to set up a body which will attempt to address problems created by the results of climate change, bushfires, floods, etc. Uh, but again, nothing to address the cause of all that, um, it seemed to me. And even when he got onto the environment, again, it was, we'll do it with technology, not taxes. So you go mm -hmm. to CCS, bury your head in the sand, carbon carbon capture and storage. Um, your mm. comments on all that last night? Oh, look, it's, um, I think it's a typical it's a typical Liberal Party uh, budget. Um, you know, we're still seeing them bury their head in the sand when it comes to tackling climate. Um, and, you know, thank goodness we've got a state government here in Victoria doing, doing bloody something on it. Um, and, you know, I think increasingly we will see more pressure on the Scott Morrison government, particularly in the lead-up to the COP26 conference in Glasgow later this year. So that's the key moment where we will have, um, you know, governments around the world gathering and putting their increased emissions reduction targets uh, forward. Uh, it's the first time since the Paris Climate uh, Summit where governments are required to lift their ambition. And... You know, I guess there was no indication in the federal budget that they are going to do that. Um, so, you know, it's really up to the community to ramp up pressure 
on the ministers, on the prime minister, and you know, called on them to to at least match what the Victorian government and the United States government are putting on the table, which is to halve emissions over the next ten years. Mm. In fact, in that Guterres article, he says um, that more than five years after the Paris uh, Agreement and with damning proof that if we don't act, we will destroy our planet, it is time for decisive and effective action as the UN convenes the the Glasgow conference this year. So he's saying that's when they've really got to make some big decisions. Mm. Oh, 100%. It's, um, you know, like, it's just essential. Um, You know, we, we need the governments of the world to set the direction for the economy over the next decade, um, you know, if we have any chance of avoiding the catastrophic climate impacts that we've been told about for decades. Yeah, and of course, as um, as Zeb said earlier, um, last night's budget, while he didn't spell it out uh, during his actual delivery, uh, it, it is lots and lots more money for, for gas and uh, and fossils again. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's mind-boggling. It really is mind-boggling. Yeah. Do you know much about, by the way, speaking of, uh, of budgets, I said uh, the, the government, the federal government last week has said in that article, Boris and government to commit to gas plan, etc., said it would consider a short-term loan of up to $32 million for the Golden Beach gas production and storage project in Gippsland, Victoria. Do you know much about that? Uh, no, I'm I'm not actually across that one. Um, well, good, we keep asking a about... question you don't know the answer to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, you know, I'm not a superhuman. No, <laughs> um, so one of the what I what I can tell you about the Gippsland issue is though, um, you know, the uh, the resistance to to gas drilling in Victoria, uh, to fracking, it, it did kick off in in Gippsland down in Sea Spray, and um, I think you know that. Uh, as a bit of a warning to the gas drillers, um, I'd be very, very uh, careful um, trying to set up shop down there. The community has clearly said that they don't want to see new gas development. So whether it's storage or whether it's electrical generation or um, extractive industry, um, I reckon it would be smart to look elsewhere. Yeah. And of course, another extractive industry that um, has got a lot of attention also uh, in parts of Gippsland is uh, deforestation and um, Vic Forest's forestry, native forestry work. Um, and, of course, deforestation is something that contributes um, to climate change as well. So, yeah, I guess that's something else we have to address. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it really is. And I think, you know, this target of, um, you know, this target set by the Andrews government to halve the state's emissions over the next 10 years, it does... It will actually require greater protection of our native forests. The Victorian government have previously committed to phase out native forest logging by 2030, um, but I, I think the targets that they have set may actually require that phase out to be expedited, and that's good news for for native forests, and mm-hmm. it's good news for the species that depend on them. Depend on them. And it's good news for the traditional custodians of the land who are, you know, really sick and tired of seeing their beautiful forests destroyed. Mm-hmm. Although we mentioned earlier in the program, Lee, that the the federal court decision, the appeal decision last week, that upheld, that said they could now go back and and log in the central highlands where a number of species are under real threat. The the 
the um, the appeals court of the federal court uh, threw out an earlier decision that said they couldn't. You probably picked that one up. Mm. And you know, like while uh, you know, while the the law didn't um, you know rule. Uh, in our favour, I think, you know, hats off and well done to the community members that had the courage to, to challenge Vic Forest. You know, this is a pretty powerful um, state-backed entity and, um, you know, I, I think they should all be proud of their efforts and they are on the right side of history. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we're drawing to the end of the close of our program, Lee, um, but I wanted to ask you before we go, you've mentioned the People's Climate Strategy, which is something that listeners can go find out more about, um, donate to be, support um, delivering that to ministers and also join in. Um, what are your other like next steps um, pushing to more ambitious emissions reduction targets? Yeah, look, I think there are, there are two really clear next steps for our campaign, Act on Climate. Firstly, we will be ramping up pressure on Scott Morrison and the federal coalition government to take an increased emissions reduction target to COP26. So, um, you know, we're, we've just been doing a bit of strategising. We'll be launching that campaign in June and July, really getting the ball rolling. So it will be a five-month concentrated effort to get the feds to move. Um, and following that, we do know that you know, 2022, it is another crucial election year here in Victoria. And as far as I see it, we've got, you know, 18 months to get Michael O'Brien and the Victorian opposition to commit to delivering those um, state climate targets that have just been set. Um, you know, the, the Liberal Party's uh, failure to put a climate policy on the table at the last election, it did cost them dearly. Um, I know they lost votes in some key seats um, in the inner city where there is a strong kind of progressive climate-minded electorate. And um, if they have, you know, for them to have any chance of winning back some of those inner city seats, um, they will need to, to actually develop a climate policy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just just to finish up, Lee, um, the gas lead recovery the government talks about, it's based essentially on the fact that they keep claiming we're going to need backup even with renewables because, you know, the usual line, the when the sun don't shine, etc. But in fact, mm. we're getting to the stage with renewables, aren't we, that, that with storage capacity, etc., we are going to be able to, to, to exist without, for, without fossils providing any of our, of our, uh, of our energy sources. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, the International Energy Agency has recently um, put on the public record that solar energy is now the cheapest energy ever in human history, which is just a re- remarkable accomplishment. And, you know, we are seeing, you know, while they're, uh, you know, somewhat expensive now for individual householders, we are seeing the cost of batteries coming down that cost curve um, and, you know, at a large scale, um you know, such as the the big battery um, that's being installed uh, near Geelong. Um, you know, we, we know that we can store energy uh, at a competitive price uh, at that large scale. So, you know, it's all changing. This is once again another sign that the Nats and the Liberals at the federal level have their head in the sand on the technology. Um, and it's quite strange. I mean, <laughs> that you know, they've refused to... Um, uh, you know, acknowledge electric vehicles, 
you know, they, they can't even utter the word battery for some reason. Um, imagine, imagine, you know, if it was smartphone or internet, like mm. they're basically doing the equivalent. It is quite mind-boggling and bizarre. Yeah. Okay. Um, listen, Lee, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to have to close up, but um, yeah, just congratulations to you, kudos to you and also the rest of the community that you've been working with to pressure the government. Um, you know, it's, it's not uh, the best it could be, but it's definitely um, a win. It's definitely been influenced by um, you guys doing that work. So thank you once again. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. You've been listening to City Limits on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.